And my declaration is simply this, that I am a child of God, redeemed by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And that apart from Christ, there's nothing good in me. And so that if I were to come before you to portray anything other than a humble individual who simply seeks to be obedient right now in this moment before my Father, then I come to you with false pretenses. But my hope is this morning is that you would be encouraged. That in the midst of just the cultural unrest, in the midst of, of all the societal issues, that you'll come to a place to, to be able to proclaim that as well. First of all, that you are a child of God redeemed by the shed blood of Christ. Can you say that this morning? And, and, and if you can't say that this morning, then my hope is that the Spirit would stir in your life in such a way that you would understand that you are an image bearer of God. And that as an image bearer of God, that He created you for fellowship with Him and for fellowship with one another. And that if you would choose to submit yourself to the authority of Jesus Christ, and if He would be both your Lord and your Savior, then you would begin to experience life in a way that you possibly couldn't imagine. In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 10, it says that the thief still comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come to give you life and to give it more abundantly. And I can tell you as I stand before you this morning, that's what I desire. That's who I want to be. I want to be a man that as others see me, they see God and would give Him glory as I experience those things that He has for me. I want to give you a little context to who I am though. Because context is important. I want to trace my roots all the way back to 110 Cleveland Circle, which is in presidential estates. Anybody know where Presidential Estates is? They're off Highway 80. And it was in the 80s that I lived in the Presidential Estates, and it was quite an experience. For the first 10 years of my life, there was just this understanding uh, of, of community based upon the faces in the neighborhood, right? So one of my best friends, his name was Eddie Brown. And Eddie, my man, he had the jerry curl, and in the summertime, it would just begin to drip down. You know what I'm saying? Like the heat's just kind of getting to my man. And we would run, and we would play, and we would have a great time. It was a great understanding. He had two sisters, Juanita and Shakita, and they were the baddest individuals in our neighborhood. Nobody messed with them. And that was my understanding of what community was at a very early age. My father was an alcoholic with an eighth grade education. My mom was a graduate of high school, but by the age of 20 had two children, and we were living there in presidential state. She didn't go on to go to college uh, beyond the first year. And so she was working a lot. And so we had that, you know, that whole dynamic going on. And unfortunately, things deteriorated there. And so we moved from presidential states over to Fairbanks. And we lived down a dirt road in a trailer. And it was awesome. I mean, as a little boy, you're running through the woods. And I ain't going to like, I'm not like, you know, the crocodile hunter. I was kind of scared of a lot of that stuff. But we were still in the woods doing that thing or whatever. And then from there, it would move up to Sterlington. So why am I telling you all of this? Because there again, our, our story is important. Uh, as, we, as we navigate who we are as children of God, we must not forget where we've come from because that's important, okay? And so we're coming through, and then I can remember as a 12-year-old kid, and I, I know I'm a stud. I mean, if you look at me right now, you're like, that's a good-looking dude, all right? Uh, but when I was 12, I was kind of husky, you know? Uh, I kind of had the big glasses and everything, and I was sitting 
uh, in a gymnasium at North Monroe Baptist Church as a 12-year-old kid. And the pastor preached, and it was what it was, but there was something that stirred inside of me as a 12-year-old kind of husky kid with glasses that I had to respond. Now, what's crazy about this particular church, which is like most Baptist churches, if you make any kind of decision, you got to go up in front of everybody. All right? So I was an extrovert, not too big of a deal, but I know that for people that are introverts, it's like, you know, Lord, if you don't move these feet, I ain't going, right? So anyway, so we go up there, or I go up there, and I'm crying. I'm ugly crying. I'm not real sure why I'm crying, but just there's something going on inside of my heart. But there's like snot coming down and tears and all this other kind of stuff. And I'm just like, you know, all this kind of business. And then there was a lot of people there. And what you had to do was shake everybody's hand. Why couldn't Corona? No, wait, we don't want Corona, but I'm just saying, I, why do we do that, right? So you're shaking all these hands, ugly crying, snot coming down your face. But at 12 years old is when I fully committed my life to the Lord. And I don't know why. I don't know, you know, there, there again, I have a brother who's 17 months older than I am, and, and uh, unfortunately, he, he chose a different path for a long time. But what I experienced as a 12-year-old boy and what has sustained me now for the last 28 years is that God is real and He is sovereign, and the more that I trust Him, the more that I'm able to experience that abundant life that I shared with you guys in the very beginning. So what, what do we want to do this morning? Well, I want to go and I want to talk about uh, a guy in Scripture that, that I admire. Um, and, and, and even before we get to him, and there again, uh, uh, I, will, I will make this public decora- declaration. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a preacher, okay? Uh, I'm a lot of things. Uh, hopefully this morning I'll be more of a teacher role. I want to be a motivator this morning as well. But here's the deal is that, that um, when I read the Scriptures... Uh, I don't want to read the scriptures like it's a history book, like it's just something that happened and it's important information that we need to know because there's going to be a test. You know, I don't even want to read the scriptures as simply uh, something that's like a self-help book so that I want to read it and just make sure that, you know, okay, uh, I want to understand, I want to memorize the, the fruit of the Spirit because I know that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control are important things in my life. Uh, memorize the Beatitudes because we want to be blessed, right? So I don't want the, the Scripture to simply be um, a self-help book, okay? But when I read the Scriptures, I want to understand the context in which these people are living so that as I began to build out the content, I make sure that I'm not making it about me because understand, as I know it's been proclaimed, it's not about you. That God's great story from beginning to end is about Him. And that we fall into that story for such a, a small moment. It seems small but yet significant because He's seeking to redeem all of His creation. And His sovereignty, He sits over His creation and He looks down. And what makes Him God and us not is that He sees the beginning and He sees the end and He sees everything in the middle all at the same time. And that's how big God is. And yet when we read Scriptures... We get little glimpses of him, and we get little, little, little. Uh, we learn a little bit more about his character and about about his holiness as we read through. So as we read this morning, we're going to go there again to one of my favorite characters uh, or, or his favorite people. I say character not as a fictional character, but as a role player within God's redemptive story. And we're going to go to the book of James. Now, when we read the book of James, it's important that we understand who James is. James is the younger brother of Jesus. 
Anybody want that title? See, as I had an older brother, so I was the younger brother, and, and any time there was something that was going on, there was a 50-50 chance it was my fault, right? You know, one time my brother and I were throwing a ball in the house, and my mom's like, don't throw the ball in the house. Okay, and you know what happens? You throw the ball in the house, you break something, and your mom hears it, so she yells from the other room, who did that? And, of course, you're blaming each other, right? Well, you couldn't blame Jesus. Anything that went wrong, anything that went wrong in the, in the household, it, was, it wasn't going to be Jesus' fault, right? So you had to be figuring out somebody else. And so James lived in that household. And there again, there's a little bit of conjecture. We don't know a whole lot about. But what we do know is that Jesus, uh, up until the age of 12, he's, he is, uh, when we see him teaching in the temple, that it, he is modeling what it is to be a child to Mary and to Joseph, right? And he's understanding, he's experiencing the religious uh, practic uh, uh, practices of his day. And so we got to know that Jesus was fully man and fully God, and James is the brother uh, of Jesus. Now, we also know that James doesn't actually come to faith until after Jesus has passed. Now, that's important because, what, there again, uh, if, 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 if your brother claims to be God, and others have made that claim, and he lives pretty good life, or, you know, perfect, right? Uh, but then James had to work through some issues, right? He had to kind of come to, uh, to an understanding, if you will. And um, <clears throat> so we see that, that James has finally come to that point of where he has he is, uh, confessed that Jesus is his Lord. And now all of a sudden, and there again, we don't know exactly the amount of time that's taking place here, James is given the position of authority of the church in Jerusalem. Now, I don't know if, if, if you're uh, familiar with just kind of, you know, uh, the historical references to Jerusalem and everything, but Jerusalem's kind of a big deal. <clears throat> uh, you, you don't want to mess that up. And here James is. He is given the task to be basically the head pastor, and using our terminology of the day, okay, uh, of establishing this church here in Jerusalem. And James begins his his letter this way. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, James knew who he was. And James wanted to make sure that he publicly proclaimed that the words that would proceed from his mouth weren't simply something that he was communicating for some kind of fanfare. He wasn't looking for social media likes. He wasn't trying to be some YouTube star. He was somebody that wanted to make sure, first of all, I'm a servant of God. Now, what's really powerful even about this statement is at the time is that when you, when you profess to worship a God, you were setting yourself apart from the worship of many gods because that was the popular culture of the day. And that when you said that he, when he said, I'm the servant of, of the God with a capital G, he was immediately putting a target on his back, if you will, but he was intentionally setting himself apart from popular culture. Furthermore, when he says that and of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is even further drawing himself back because he is saying he is not a part of the religious establishment that is the nation of Israel, but rather he is now a Christian, if you will. I put that in parentheses because at the time that was not something that you wore as a badge of honor, but that he was a follower of Jesus. And now those things are important because we'll come to those in just a minute. But he goes on to say, who is he talking to? To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. You see, while we live in civil unrest, 
while we have societal issues here in 2020, let us not forget that these things have been prevalent throughout the history of humanity. And no, I'm not minimizing anything at all. What I'm hoping that we'll see this morning as Christians is we have always been called to be set apart in the midst of these things. That we have always had a mandate to live our lives in a way that when others would look to us, they would see the glory of God manifested. And that's what James is going to share with us uh, throughout the book of, first, uh, of, excuse me, of James. But here in this first chapter, I'm just going to kind of going to kind of hit a few points because there's, a, there's kind of this big elephant in the room at the end of it that I really want us to be encouraged by and challenged by before we get done this morning. But he would be, so he's talking to the 12 tribes. So this morning, there again, if you have not yet submitted yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, it begins by receiving forgiveness by shed blood. <clears throat> but for those of us who claim to be Christian, and for me, like I said, from the age of 12 to the age of 40, for the last 28 years I've been trying to seek after those things, these words are for me. These words are for you if you've surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ. He starts off saying in verse 3, he says, he says uh, excuse me, verse 2, Consider it pure joy, brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That is countercultural to our, to our world today. Whenever we, when we endure difficult situations... Unfortunately, most of us do the opposite. We want to begin to place blame or we want to begin to deflect. But what James is saying here is consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And that's a heavy word, and he would build that out a little bit further. Like I said, uh, please go back and look at some of those things. But this morning, a question for you to, to ask yourself. When difficult things happen to you, what is your response? When, when you feel like you might have, have experienced some sort of injustice, how do, you, how do you react? James challenges you, says, hey, consider it joy. Because in that process, you're going to grow to a point of maturity. And he goes on to talk about this idea of wisdom. And, 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 and I love the word wisdom because in my experiences for 20 plus years, I've worked with young pe people in various situations. I, I've served in the church. I've served in, in uh, you know, faith-based nonprofits. I currently, as Larissa shared, uh, am doing that same thing. And, and my heart and my hope is for young people to begin to grow in wisdom. And, and when I say wisdom, I think that there are really three avenues in which we, we uh, develop wisdom. The first of all is through personal experience. And that's very, very difficult most of the time. There again, to use the analogy that's probably been overused, but, the, but you've got the stove and it's got the... When I remember when I was a kid, I, uh, we used to live off of uh, Hamburger Helper. I don't know if you guys know what that is or not, but Hamburger Helper... Uh, probably the equivalent today is, you know, ramen noodles or whatever the case may be. But Hamburger Helper came in a box. Everything you needed right there in the box, right? But you turned on that, that stovetop and the little spiral, you know, uh, burner got to going. And you know you weren't supposed to touch it. But you know, even when you turned it off, it was still hot, right? Well, I, I, I may be the only one in the room ever done this. But the one time, straight up, put my hand flat on that dude. And you know what happened? It burned the fool out of me. I took my hand off, kind of like the dude on home. I, I, I use a lot of illustrations, and they're like disconnected all over the place. So just humor me. But you know when Home Alone, when that dude grabs that hot deal, you look up and you got that image? Except that had just stripes. That burner was hot. And I felt the burn. 
I don't even have one of them stoves now. I was like, I ain't buying a stove like that. I got a gas stove now. It's got a flame coming up. I know when it's on, right? But that's the whole point. Wisdom through personal experience. Wisdom can be gained through others' experience. I hope that you will listen to me and don't put your hand on that burner because it will burn you and it will make a cool design that you'll talk about for a long time, but I don't think it's worth it. All right? But you know also, God's Word. God's Word. That's where we find wisdom that, look, check this out, that transcends culture, that supersedes our social experiences, and if you will know God's Word, and if you'll begin to, quote, hide it in your heart, then you'll find that you'll begin to live out these truths because we have something, and I appreciate Pastor referencing this earlier in our service, is that we have the promised Holy Spirit lives in us, that lives in us now. So at 12 years old, I didn't know what it was that I was not crying about or whatever, except it was Jesus and it was the Holy Spirit working inside of me. And that whenever today I choose to apply God's Word to my life to live out the truth He's called me to, it's simply the Holy Spirit rolling through me to influence the lives of those around me because I understand that in myself, look, I'm going to be straight with you. I'm a punk. All right? So I got right perspective with those things. So, but he talks about if you get, if you like wisdom... Ask God who gives freely and without partiality. All right? God ain't stingy. He wants you to have it. You just got to ask for it. So he continues on. And so we look here. Now we're in James uh, chapter 1, verse 19. And this is something that I wish that all those who think they have a platform to communicate whatever it is that they think is important that it needs to be communicated, I wish they would really apply this verse, chapter 19, uh, verse 19. It says, my brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick. Y'all say quick. See, with the mask on, I can't quite tell, you know, if y'all like engaged or not, you know. I like my man's mask right here, too. It's got like a grill going on. It's pretty, pretty cool. But I can't really read y'all very well, so I'm just hoping y'all are with me. So it says, y'all should be quick. Say it again. Say quick. quick. To listen. Slow. Say slow. slow. To speak. I like that. You're like, slow to speak. All right. Check it out. And slow to become angry. We should be quick to listen. And you see, what I really am learning myself is that a lot of people, they don't want to hear me talk anyway. So if I would apply this right here, I'd probably have some more friends. But it says we should be quick to listen. And, and you know, one of the things that I do is uh, I go into communities and I try to train adults to be able to engage in the lives of young people in the school system. And young people, they, and I say young people, a lot of you guys are young people, so you be, this is your point to say amen. You feel like adults don't listen to you. They don't want to hear what you got to say. And if I'm honest, you're probably right, but that ain't right. You see, we've got to learn to listen we as adults need to learn to listen. You as young people, I would encourage you, be quick to listen, slow to speak. So what I challenge my volunteers with is that when you choose to listen, it's not to listen to respond or react. You know, what you're doing is you're just waiting for them like to take even like a half breath and then you just like, just like throw it in on them, right? But that you listen to learn. You listen to learn. There again, context matters. Where are you from? What your life experiences are. 
And this is, and I'll refer to this here again in a little bit. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry because of this. And there again, James is very practical here, and I haven't said that to this point, but I want to make sure we understand that. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. The righteous life that God desires. Now, there again, James is Jesus' brother. I don't know how close James followed after Jesus. There again, we, knew he, we know he didn't come to know him as Lord and Savior till later on. So I don't know if James is like, all right, Jesus, peace, you know, and just go do your own deal, or if he followed closely. But this is reflective of what Jesus is talking about in the Gospel of Matthew when it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So we had this understanding that righteousness is a big deal. So let me help you understand that a little bit if, if, you're kind of, uh, if you may have a question about it. Righteousness is simply right living before a holy God. All right? So in other words, when we claim that we are righteous, then our actions should reflect a lifestyle that brings God glory. And that's why it is imperative that we understand that we have to be slow to speak, are quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Now, I told you we're trying to get somewhere. We haven't even got to the meat of the message yet. Are you all okay? Everybody good? Okay, we're we, we getting there, though, okay? So y'all just, just be good. But it goes on to really just kind of lay out. You know what? There, there's going to be, some, there's going to be some, an attitude adjustment for those who, who are the have-nots. There's going to be an attitude adjustment for those who are the haves. Because at the end of the day, there again, I'm reflecting on this word wisdom. We all are going to breathe our last breath, and we all are going to stand before a Creator. And it gets here to this point, and, and where we're going to kind of hang out for just a few minutes is here in James chapter 1, verse 26. As I shared with you earlier, that there was a litany of religious people in Jerusalem. You had those who were... Uh, of Jewish descent. They were God's chosen people. But they were even a minority among the larger Roman Empire in which they lived. So while they had certain governmental, social positions of power and authority, they still had to submit to the overarching Roman Empire. Now there again, I'll reference, if you, if you uh, can remember, what Jesus' life was like, specifically the last week of His life, specifically the last moments of his life, the Jewish people themselves had to ultimately submit to the Roman Empire to allow for all the things to take place that would ultimately end in Jesus' uh, crucifixion. Okay, so there's this, there's this hierarchy of the Roman Empire. There's this, uh, the, the Jewish people who were there. But there again, there was this larger religious body that was taking place uh, who had rituals and, 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 uh, and certain things that were taking place. And all of this is where James is given the authority to establish the church in Jerusalem. And so he says, if anyone considers himself religious, if anyone valued a societal position of being religious, he gives him this charge. He says, yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue. You see, 
uh, what we say and what we do, they're intertwined. I'll say it again. What we say and what we do, they're intertwined. If I could say this one thing, and this is just my opinion, culturally speaking, today, we will say one thing, but we do something totally different. I recently read a quote by Mike Tyson, and I'm going to mess it up. You know, Mike Tyson is a phenomenal, uh, you know, philosophical genius, in my opinion. One of my favorite quotes is, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. But I read something recently in which he said, um, social media has allowed you to get way too comfortable with disrespecting other people. And what he was alluding to is that you would not say to my face what you, what you put in that post. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and lean in my young folks a little bit because I love you guys and I believe that God has a unique position of, of opportunity for you guys. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. What I see is a group of young people, and they're angry, and I, and I think you've got your, it, it, you are with, well within your rights to be angry. But what you communicate cannot be unsaid. And what you do in response to what you communicate is reflective of who you are. We've got a lot of people, uh, they call them keyboard warriors or whatever the case may be, and I'm talking more about the older folks now, is that we'll get there and we'll post among our little network and things like that, and we'll either get likes or we'll get controversy, and sometimes we'd rather have the controversy just to try to prove that we're right. <laughs> and James would say that if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, what does he say? He deceives himself. Not that he deceives those who he's speaking to, but he deceives himself. <clears throat> and his religion is worthless. His religion is worthless. You see, in, in my lifetime, I've, I've had a wealth of experiences in regards of value. And um, that word worthless is pretty heavy to me. Because I don't want to waste my time, right? I don't want to put effort into something that the end result is no net gain. But what James is saying here, what he's setting up is this proclamation in verse 27, but he says that, look, if you want to be religious and let yet you say these things, you're delusional. You, you have lost connection with reality because you are not religious and what you're doing is actually worthless, of no value. I wonder if maybe you've actually heard that said of yourself or maybe others that, you, that you're with. Look, you, you're worthless. You'll never, you'll, you won't amount to much. You don't, you don't have much value. Pastor referenced that we, we have one enemy. And, and I can say with confidence that it is the enemy that, that allows those kind of things to be communicated. 
You are not worthless. As a child of God, redeemed by the shed blood of Christ, whatever your situation is, is that your value is, is greater than you could possibly imagine. Your purposes are, are, are higher than what you could possibly plan yourself. And in the area of being religious, James gives us a very clear direction. He says this, Religion that our God, excuse me, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by this world. Now, I memorize it a little bit differently, and so I, I wanted to share with you how I've internalized it. A religion that God sees as pure and undefiled is one that takes care of orphans and widows in their distress and keeps oneself from being polluted from this, from this dark age. You see, the reality is, if you claim to be religious with your words, then it should look like your, your efforts to help the most vulnerable in your community. Your sweat equity, if you will, should be you looking for those who are the most vulnerable, discerning what God would have for you to do, and then act accordingly. You see, what, what I believe James is not saying here is that, you know, you should be uh, charitable. You know, you should be benevolent. You should, uh, you know, you should, you should give things away, you know. Um, it's not a single act uh, is, is where I'm trying to get to. In, in my opinion, it's more of a lifestyle is what he's after here. So who, are the who are the marginalized in your community and what are you doing to show God, to reveal God to them? I was uh, recently speaking with Larissa about a, uh, an activity that y'all did for, for moms and uh, the diaper distribution and things like that. And, and, uh, and he shared with me just kind of how God worked. Even uh, there was some uncertainty because of the number of anticipated uh, moms had increased and things, and yet, yet there was just this abundance of supplies, and there was just this um, impact in the community, which was greater than probably what you anticipated. And there again, the, the aftershocks or the residual of that, I think, is still, still to come. That's just one example. But there again, if we're going to call ourselves religious, it's not simply an act. It has to be a lifestyle. It has to be something that, that in, 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 in the words that we say, right? We're reflecting the glory of God. We're affirming the humanity of other individuals. And, and there again, I'm going to get on this very quickly. Um, I'm... I have sought to, to gain a better understanding of our culture, specifically the generations and the issues that lie within each generation. And what I've learned to discover is that there's such uh, an individualized um, application towards our culture. Everything is, is self-first. Self-first. There was a time in history where it wasn't. But we're, we're, we're long past that. And, and what I noticed was, was that specifically with younger people, that if, if, if they can't see the value in their own lives, then they're less likely to get engaged with it. They're less likely to, to, to want to be a part of whatever that is. There again, it's a me first kind of a mentality. And I think that we've modeled that. 
And I think that what we see right here and what James is proclaiming is we've got to rebuke that. We've got to say, no, you know, what, what do I have that I can give so that someone that doesn't have can see God? What, and, it, and it's not just about money, because there again, um, I, don't, I don't stand up here as an affluent person, but what are my experiences? What are my skills? What wisdom do I have? Can I share with others? to help them through whatever their situation is. That's at the heart of what James is talking about here. And you see, what I'm really thinking about here is that, there again, I don't know the proximity uh, of Jesus uh, and James. Uh, I know, of course, at this time James is, is being reflective because Christ has been crucified, has been resurrected, now has been ascended, so I understand all those things. But I, I'm just curious if James reflecting upon his brother and the ministry that he had on this earth was maybe drawn to, to, to this moment in which Jesus was making a definitive statement about the coming kingdom. So as he is saying here that a religion that God sees as pure and undefiled is one that takes care of orphans and widows in their distress and keeps oneself from being polluted by this dark age. I'm just curious if he wasn't maybe reflecting upon the words that I want us to look at in closing in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 25. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He is very much aware that his time is short, that there are plans being made, that he will actually be betrayed, and he makes this statement. I'm going to read, starting in verse 34, and I'm going to read it, read it quickly so you all listen quick, okay? It says, Then the king will say to those on his right, let me back up to 31, excuse me. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, so, so when, when the fullness of time, when, when our heavenly Father who sits over creation sends Jesus to redeem His children from among His creation. It says this, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His heavenly throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from goats. And He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by the Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will swear, will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. You see, when Jesus comes back, there will be a judgment. And the judgment will be not based upon the things that we've said, the posts that we've made, but rather what we did. And for those of us who looked after the most vulnerable, the orphans, the widows, the least of these, we are the ones redeemed by the shed blood of Christ, 
seeking to walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit, will step into eternity where there will be no more injustice, where there will be no more social situations that are contrary to the creation. But Jesus goes on to say this, Then He will say to those on His left, Depart from Me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his, uh, and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave Me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave Me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite Me in. I needed clothes, and you didn't clothe Me. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't look after Me. They also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he replied, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. It seems to me that oftentimes we want to win an argument and lose a relationship. It seems too often that we're not willing to listen, to learn, to understand the importance of the experiences of a person because we want to be right. And James is saying, look, if you say you're religious and yet you don't keep a tight, you don't keep a tight rein on your tongue, your religion is worth nothing, but that a religion that God sees as pure and undefiled is one that looks after the least of these. So I want, to give, I want to encourage you with one action step, one application. There again, we can be philosophical, but let's be very practical. This is my challenge for you this next week. Go up to someone that appears to be hurting, whatever their situation. And there again, when we say least of these, it's not simply a socioeconomic issue. It's not simply an ethnicity issue. When we say the least of these, all of us are least of these from time to time. We all have needs that someone needs to come alongside and be God in that moment. But you walk up to someone, and there again, I'll even, I'll even give you a little cheat sheet here, a little tip here. Pray about it first. God, who around me needs to know you better? Who around me needs to be encouraged today? And here's the crazy thing. When you pray like that, He'll answer your prayer. And then when He answers your prayer, then you just simply respond in obedience. And you ask a simple question. Not, you love Jesus? I mean, that's a good question. I think that's an important question. That's not the question I want you to ask. Simple question is this. How are you? That's your takeaway this week. Very simple. Walk up to someone you prayed about it. Lord, help me to be open for the needs of those around me. You walk up to somebody and then ask the question and then watch God work. You see, oftentimes we have answers to questions that people haven't asked. We're more interested in wanting to show what we know, to state what our beliefs are, and all these other kind of things, and it ultimately has no value. The enemy is very real. And if we're going to be about the work of redemption that God has placed us on this earth to do, then we've got to put ourselves in those positions where we can serve those who are most vulnerable. 
I'm going to say a word of prayer, and I'm going to ask Pastor Lorise to come up. I love calling him Pastor Lorise. That's fun. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for the privilege of being able to share with my brothers and sisters this morning. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit is speaking very clearly words to give them hope, to give them direction for this young church. Father, we know that the world has a a definition of religion that seems to imply a a self-righteous disposition that oftentimes labels the religious as being pious or all other sorts of names. Lord, would, would we be a people that would stand against those things and allow our religion to be reflected in the way we serve others? Father, would you also forgive us for where we have been self-righteous, where we've been more interested in being right than we were at building a relationship? Would you forgive us for where we have not seen uh, the humanity of those? Father, we know very clearly that we're all image bearers, and Lord, oftentimes we don't live that way. So Lord, forgive us for that. Help us to walk in the truth that we've heard this morning for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.